This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of April 20th, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 224 of Defender Radio. With Earth Day on the horizon, it makes sense to take a step back from fur bear specific issues and look at a subject plaguing the entire planet. What's interesting, however, is that this issue does, in fact, relate back to fur bearing animals. For this week's episode, we connected with Keegan Kuhn, a co director of the popular and incredible documentary Cowspiracy. In what begins as a simple flick about water use and sustainability, Keegan and co-director Kip quickly discover there is a much, much larger problem in the use of life-giving water around the world. Animal agriculture. This massive and powerful industry is responsible for an uncanny level of damage to our planet and, of course, our wildlife. In this interview, Keegan explored the building of the film, from the personal journey to the stonewalling by massive nonprofits and how it changed his life and may change the world. Tell me a bit about sort of how this project, Cowspiracy, started. What, what was the beginning groundwork behind it? Yeah, so Cowspiracy started um, from my co-director, Kip Anderson. He was, uh, you know, Inspiring environmentalist wanted to do everything he could to help the planet. He saw an inconvenient truth, uh, you know, film starring Al Gore, former vice president of the United States, talking about climate change. And in the film, he makes recommendations, and through uh, activism, makes recommendations for you know switching to complex fluorescence, you know, driving hybrid vehicles, or you know, even better, walking or riding a bike uh, for transportation, um, and making you know relatively small steps in how to help the planet. Uh, and my co-director Kip went down that path, but after years of doing it, he wanted really, you know, is this going to be enough to save the planet? And he found out about uh, the impact of animal agriculture. Stumbled across a report from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization in 2006 that said that animal agriculture, raising animals for food, is responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than the entire combined exhaust of all the world's uh, transportation vehicles. So that's every single boat, plane, train car, truck combined, combined exhaust of all those vehicles was less than the emissions of animal agriculture. Um, and so that's really started down this path of why isn't this information at the forefront of the world's largest environmental organizations? It's, this is one of the primary drivers of climate change, and it goes anywhere from you know, 14.5% of greenhouse gas emissions all the way up to 51% of greenhouse gas emissions could be attributed to animal agriculture in some way. Why isn't this at the forefront? Uh, and then from there, it just goes deeper and deeper. Um, I got involved with the project uh, pretty early on, and we realized that there was a real story here. And so that's what the film follows, follows my co-director's whole journey down this path. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting. My uh, my boss, Leslie Fox, actually recommended the documentary to me. So I got to spend half a work day sitting on the couch with the dogs watching your wonderful film. Thank you for that. Um, but uh, what what I thought was interesting is, you know, it's called Cowspiracy, and, and I obviously see a lot of, uh, you know, vegan activist documentaries, things like that, animal rights documentaries. So I figured it would be aligned with a lot of those that I'd seen in the past. But when I started watching it, 
it it was truly an environmental story. It wasn't about animals specifically. It wasn't about a vegan diet. It was about uh, water. Uh, it, it, like, it almost had nothing to do with all of these other aspects that the film does dive into at the beginning. Is that also how the, the journey occurred as the movie was being made? Yeah, you know, uh, it's the film, yeah, is very much an environmental documentary. That's that's its focus. Um, and we want people to understand that it's an environmental documentary. It's really, it touches on ethics of killing animals and raising animals for food. It's a small part. Um, it touches on health of, you know, the benefits of the plant-based diet, but again, very small part. It's really about the environmental impacts of raising animals for food or, you know, pulling, you know, mining the oceans, um, essentially what we're doing with fishing. Um, and, and that is, yeah, very much the path that Kip went down. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I, I, I personally enjoyed, I'm a journalist by training, and the the series of uh, phone calls Kip was making, and I'm sure you were making these phone calls and everybody else involved with the project was making the phone calls, of trying to get the, the large national and international uh, nonprofits and charities in the U.S. to talk about the subject of animal agriculture um, and how virtually none of them were willing to touch it. What would... I, I, how did you respond when you started making these calls to, to people who are willing to talk about anything and do anything and all of a sudden won't touch one of these huge issues? You know, that's where the conspiracy part really started to come in was, you know, why isn't, you know, if, if animal agriculture is the leading cause of rainforest destruction around the world, you know, primarily in the Amazon, but around the world, by far the leading cause, why aren't the world's largest rainforest organizations talking about it? Why isn't that like their forefront issue? Um, and when, yeah, we would go to want to talk to them, and they said, oh, we're not interested. It was, well, why wouldn't you be interested in talking about this? Um, and yeah, it becomes very conspiratorial. What, what, what is their motivation? Is it the motivation of they're getting paid off? Is it that they're afraid of scaring off donors? Is it that they are you know, have to reflect on their own lifestyles? Is it the repression that activists face in the U.S. and around the world for speaking out against the cattle industry and animal agriculture in general? Um, but we realized we had to go a different route in order to get these organizations uh, in front of the camera. So we, we kind of shifted gears and we were really focused on, right, we're just going to be do a film on sustainability. And, you know, we're going to just talk about sustainability. So the organizations that we finally got on camera, we said, we're doing a film on sustainability. Here are the questions. What's the leading cause of environmental degradation? What's the leading cause of toxic erosion, water pollution, you know, on and on and on. And allowed them to answer it. And then when they didn't bring up animal agriculture, we'd say, well, you know, there's X number of studies here that say that, in fact, animal agriculture is the leading cause. And that's when, you know, the interviews shift uh, energetically and, and emotionally for a lot of them. Yeah, it, it, was, it was very eye-opening, um, uh, to use a, a cliche that we all use when talking about this stuff. But, it, I mean, that is really the only term that describes watching these revelations occur uh, again massive nonprofits who take in millions of dollars and say we're going to save the world as long as we don't talk about the biggest problem um and, and again myself i am a vegan i am an environmentalist in many degrees and i had no idea the problem was that big when it came to animal agriculture um, just in terms of the water usage, the waste. And what really surprised me too was the discussion of sustainability when you talked with the actual farmers, the guys who make a living off of this, and they all pretty much admit, yeah, it's not sustainable. 
we were, Kip and I were both very shocked. I felt really well informed on this issue going into making the film. But I, oh, I knew a lot about, you know, the impact of agriculture. And I had no idea, like, as you said, how big the issue really is and, and how many resources really go into it. Um, and then, yeah, even further shocked when we you know, talked to the farmers, you know, cattle ranchers and dairy farmers, and they said, yeah, no, it's not sustainable. Not sustainable for the population, the way we're doing it, the way we're consuming it. Um, and it's, you know, that to me is right there. That's just the proof. These people, they have an invested interest. They have a livelihood in the industry, and they know that they can't sustain this on an ecological level uh, for very much longer. Uh, and speaking of the, the ecological uh uh, aspects of this. One of the things, and obviously one of the things that interests us at the Fur Bears, is the impact on wildlife. Um, this is constantly coming up in Canada. Uh, again, you know, we hear so much about the oil sands uh, and pipelines are kind of the two hot topics here right now. Uh, and we just actually had an oil spill in a bay outside of Vancouver this week, or last week, sorry. Um, but Animal agriculture takes up vast amounts of land and it displaces a ton of wildlife, which then creates these incredible conflicts. Uh, what were the, re I mean, did, did any of the people you talk with really kind of go into that, the amount of killing that takes place in order to protect uh, the, the livestock, which will eventually be killed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we interviewed a former... He's actually the founder of Greenpeace Alaska. He has an, his own organization now, um, Will Anderson. And he, that's an issue very close to his heart is, is free roaming wild animals um, and the impact of animal agriculture. And so, you know, I, I can't speak for Canada, but in the United States, you know, we have the U.S. Department of Agriculture that has a, basically an anti-predator uh, killing patrol. They, they kill predators because of the impact they have on the cattle industry and the livestock industry in general, because they look at, you know, wolves and coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions that predate on uh, cattle or sheep. And then instead of, you know, figuring out humane or ethical ways of keeping livestock from being predated on by these you know, animals who naturally belong there, they wipe the entire you know, groups of animals. They, you know, they wedge pack of wolves uh, in uh, northern Washington state are entirely eliminated because they were attributed with killing cattle. And then we've seen this over and over and over in the northern states along the Canadian border. Uh, wolves come off of the endangered species list, and the day they come off the list, it's open season for killing wolves. And again, this is entirely driven by the cattle industry. The wolves are not a threat to human beings. There's not been a single instance of uh, a wolf attack in the United States. This is because they predate on cattle and sheep, or or can at times. Uh, it's really it's mostly it's the perception that they are going to cause massive impact, and so they're vilified and and targeted. But this goes well beyond even the predator species. We see the impacts of you know we focus on the wild horses in the film. American wild horses are federally protected animals, and they're being rounded up in mass. You know, there's 50,000 wild horses. Wild horses that have been taken off public lands that are living in, you know, basically concentrated animal feeding operations um, because they compete with livestock for forage. Uh, we see the prairie dogs being wiped out because of fear of, uh, you know, cows and horses stepping in prairie dog holes. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. And animals that are just being targeted and wiped out, exterminated because of their impact or perceived impact on the livestock industry. Yeah, there was actually a study released uh, a couple of months ago that showed 
uh, and again, it was uh, one study, so we, I, we would no way call this confirmation, but it illustrated, based on available data, that in areas where wolf culls took place, the amount of uh, depredation on livestock actually increased uh, compared to areas where wolves were left alone. And even this weekend, uh, I met a woman, and as soon as people find out what I do for a living, they all tell me their coyote stories. Um but uh, she was telling me, you know, a, a farmer in her area uh, knew there were coyotes around, so he put out a dead cow and over the course of one year killed 89 coyotes um, simply because they were there. Uh, and it, it is this, this in, incredible cultural issue within that industry, um, despite science showing you're making the problem worse by doing this. Exactly. And then the end of my... My sister works for uh, a wild horse uh, organization, and we were just talking about it, that the situation in the U.S. could, with wild horses and the degradation of land and the degradation of cattle on public lands, uh, could be pretty much brought to a halt simply by ending predator killing. You know, when you take away these keystone species that are so vital to a balanced ecosystem, you know, they keep uh, herbivorous animals' populations in check by, you know, predating on their young. Um, when you allow these animals to come back into ecosystems, everything falls back into balance. And so you don't have this overgrazing. You don't have to then do, you know, collins or rounding up of, you know, deer or elk or moose or or wild horses or burros. You know, the, these animals allow the systems to work. And again, we have to go back and look at what is the real problem and what is the real solution. The real problem is, you know, the livestock industry demonizes these animals, has them killed, kills them themselves, uh, and then introduces their own you know, species that they want on the landscape. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Co-Spiracy Co-Director Keegan Kuhn. 
It's it's remarkable when you kind of step back and look at it in that big picture, and I feel that uh, your film does does a good job of that. There, there is one thing I wanted to ask. After watching it, I found, uh, by and large, it was not overly graphic, but there is one scene uh, where where Kip stands and witnesses uh, the slaughter of a backyard bred duck, and I I was thinking about this for a couple of hours. And I, I wanted to ask, why did you feel it necessary to keep that scene in? I mean, when it fades to black uh, afterwards, it's very impactful. But why why the decision to keep the, uh, for lack of a better word, gory parts of that scene in? Yeah, that was definitely something we struggled with a lot. We went back and forth with whether we should include it in the film or not. Um, we decided to ultimately leave the the harsh reality of killing in the film because people can intellectualize things all they want. They can talk about why raising and killing animals is okay. They can talk about you know how it could theoretically be done sustainably. But the hard reality is is that when you have to see the life drain from an animal's eyes and you see them dismembered and their bodies ripped apart, there's no argument with it on an intellectual level. Nobody enjoys seeing that. It hurts. And if someone does enjoy seeing it, it points to its deeper issues. Um, and so we wanted to include that in the film that regardless of how you want to intellectualize the issue, we all know that killing is not okay. That, you know, particularly the killing of innocence. Um, and when we come down to, you know, the most hardened, staunch meat eater, they all cover their eyes or they all look away or none of them feel good. Um, and I've traveled around the world and asked, you know, from indigenous people living in Vanuatu to, to you know, homesteaders in Alaska to, you know, uh, assistance farmers of Mexico, what was it like the first time you killed an animal? And we do it in the film as well. We ask the backyard farmer, what was it like the first time? And they all say the same thing. Ah, it hurt. I didn't feel good. And I felt sick. I cried. No one feels good about doing this. I think that speaks to our innate desire for kindness and, and peacefulness. And so that's why we felt it was important. And again, it's, it is a very difficult scene. It's the one scene that is, you know, very graphic. Um, but that's, again, part of why this film is very much more an environmental film um, is that it's not a typical white film that's full of, you know, undercover footage and gore and just, you know, the, the atrocities that are committed against these animals. Uh, it is very much the environmental impact, but we felt it was important to include, you know, at least some small part of that ethic. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was very masterfully done, actually, uh, following that scene, because and it, it actually kind of reminds me of the way Joss Whedon will do something very tragic in a lot of his work. Um, it goes from that very provoking scene into one of just pure joy, immediately following it. And for a moment, you almost forget what you just saw. Um, what, was, what was the experience like going out to, to farm sanctuaries after meeting people who were talking about how much they love animals? Um, and, and, and I don't remember the names, um, but it was a couple with their uh, three children who had a, uh, a large property. Um, and the, the girls were talking about how they, they don't want to make friends with the pigs because they're going to have to go off and be slaughtered. And then to go over to the, the sanctuary where it's, yeah, these animals, they had to live their lives here. They get, you know, they know them all by names from the roosters and chickens to the cows and the pigs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, to see children being indoctrinated into a system of violence is, is tragic. You know, you have these beautiful, sweet kids I and mean, just some of the nicest kids. And yeah, the oldest daughter of that uh, beef farm 
they had pigs and she talked about the pigs as her best friend. She said, oh, well, yeah, they could be your best friend. They could even be like your sister. And then to think that, you know, two weeks after we filmed, those animals were all slaughtered and killed. Um, and what that does to a child, and we see that, again, you know, throughout cultures, this is, you know, not demonizing those parents. This is what they were brought up. I and mean, this is what they were taught, but it is tragic. And then, but then, yeah, as you said, to see the opposite side um, and to see the, the alternative, which is, animals being saved from slaughter and living out their lives in peace and, and people who truly are loving these animals in the way we, I think we all think of love, which is, you know, the utmost kindness and care um, that doesn't include, you know, a blade to the throat. Um, and, you know, the sanctuaries, you know, we focus on sanctuary animal place in the film, which does amazing work. They've actually rescued, I think it's somewhere in the range of 15,000 animals uh, in the, over the last 10 years uh, from slaughter, which is just phenomenal. Uh, those and these organizations, you know, Animal Place was the first to say it. Oh, that sanctuaries really aren't the solution. They are they are a tool to save lives today and to inform people. But you know, the solution really is getting rid of you know, the, the slaughter industry, getting rid of the industry that perpetuates breeding animals into this world for, to be killed. Um, and and I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment here because uh, I I find it often necessary and it's also fun. Um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I watched the film, like I said. It was a rainy day. I was hanging out with my dogs, um, eating my corn chips and uh, drinking my coffee. And uh, at the end of the film, I felt good uh, about being a vegan. I felt good about the work I do for wildlife because it's I'm doing the right thing for the world I love, the world I live in, the world my family lives in. Um, but then the thought occurred to me that you spoke to all of these experts and the kind of consistent message that I picked up is we're all screwed. So should I just go eat steak now or is it not too late? Uh, as some of them started to imply. Yeah. And that's a question that, you know, went to my head a lot. Is, is it too late? You know, have we just, the ball's already rolling and we're in the midst of the largest mass extinction you know, that we've seen you know, since the, Permian extinction, like that 90% of all life, more species are dying now today because of our impact on the planet than, you know, even then, or even the, you know, 65 million years ago, the asteroid hitting the planet. Um, is it too late? I don't think it is too late because I know today I can make an impact. I know today that I can have less of an, you know, environmental footprint on the planet as far as water consumption or rainfall. We're just in California history right now, four years of record low rainfall and you know according to nasa we have a year's worth of water reserves left left for the entire state and the state is responsible for producing half of the country's produce I and mean, that's a pretty dire situation me choosing to eat a plant-based diet saves you know in excess of a thousand gallons a day imagine if you know california's 300 million or if the united states you know 300 plus million people switch over to a plant-based diet we'd have an abundance of water and we wouldn't have the you know, ecological crisis that we're facing. It would it would affect climate change, you know, and the fact that we lower greenhouse gas emissions immediately. You know, methane, for example, uh, is a, a oftentimes overlooked greenhouse gas which plays a major role in climate change. It's it has the global warming potential 86 times greater of uh, than CO2. So, and methane, about a third of the world's methane comes from livestock. Simply by removing that, we would see an immediate impact. You know, within 20 years, we'd see, uh, you know, global temperatures could drop because of removing just animal agriculture, you know, keep burning fossil fuels for energy, and still see an impact because 
the difference in life cycles of, of those greenhouse gases. But so I, I don't feel that it is too late. I think that what we do today has an impact. And definitely, you can see it has an impact. Um, and it clearly has an impact on the animals that would be brought into the world if there's a lower demand. These you know, farms and corporations breed less animals. Um, but it's also the continued expansion of deforestation that happens. You know, the, the primary cause of species loss around the world is because of habitat destruction. Um, the leading cause of habitat destruction is expansion of agriculture, we clear forests to grow feed crops for livestock primarily. So I, I think that we, in some respects, we may be on a runaway train, um, but I know that we can have an impact today. That's great. Um, and uh, I'm going to give you a plug here. Uh, Earth Day is coming up, and I understand there is a deal going on for Cowspiracy for those who have not seen it or those who want to see it again. Yeah, we're, we're really, we want as many people to see the film as possible. So for starting Earth Day and for the week that follows, the film is available to download for $1, um, which is the lowest price that we could do with the website that hosts our work host the film. Um, so we're really encouraging as many people as possible to to share that campaign and get as many friends and family members to watch the film. Um, you can actually gift the film, you know, pay a dollar and send the film to somebody else. Uh, we really want to encourage people to you know, download the film and watch and have you know, parties, uh, get as, again, as many people as possible to get together to share this information. The film is really about information. It's not telling people what to do or how to live their lives. It's just providing information, which is what we want these organizations to do. Um, so we encourage people to go to our website, cowspiracy.com, uh, sign up for our newsletter, uh, share the campaign, go to our Facebook page, Cowspiracy Sustainability Secret on Facebook, um, and just get this information out there. And again, whether they use our film uh, or another, you know, uh, any information that's out there, just getting this information to people for people to understand what an impact our food choices really have on the planet. To get your copy of Cowspiracy, visit www.cowspiracy.com. And remember, for one week starting on Earth Day, the rental price will be reduced to only $1. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support and all of you. For listening. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs>